Surely one of the most frustrating things about the Christian life is that we still have to face a lot of struggles. There's something in our minds that wants to believe that if we're following God, if we're doing the right things, if if we're going the right way, then life ought to be easier than if we're not. And the scriptures tell us, and history reminds us, and I would suspect that most, if not all of us, are living witnesses, that it's simply not the case. We don't like it, but the reality is, we really shouldn't be surprised that God's people face opposition. It is, it is a part of, of being a follower of God because the evil one hates God. And the evil one hates God's children. And the evil one wants to do everything possible to destroy God's children. And so the closer we are to God, the more opposition we are likely to face. People aren't burned at the stake because they were disobedient to God but because they were full out committed to God. People aren't jailed, imprisoned, and and lose their lives because they have gone their own way and rejected God, but because they have fully committed their lives to God. It is a part of what it means to be the church, to be the people of God, individually and corporately, that we're going to face opposition. We're going to face difficulties. And as much as we don't like that, as much as we wish it weren't the case, it is. And Psalm 129 is one of those places in Scripture that reminds us about the opposition that comes to God's people. And, and as you begin, as we begin this psalm, the writer says, they've greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say, they've greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they've not gained the victory over me. Plowmen have plowed my back. They've made my furrows, made their furrows long. He's talking about the oppression and the difficulty and the struggle of what it means to be a follower of God. And he's just laying it out there. It has been hard. The question that comes to our mind is, what do we do about that? What's the solution to the oppression that we face as God's people? And in in one sense, it makes sense to us. It's what we would expect. In another sense, it may not be. I mean, at its simplest, this is really a prayer. And I think one of the the, the primary solution, the beginning point of of facing the opposition and and getting through it is to pray. Now, we would expect that, right? I mean, the Scripture tells us over and over again, we ought to pray. We see in the Scriptures how important prayer is. In in Luke 5, it tells us that Jesus went off many times by himself into the wilderness, into the woods to pray. In Acts 1, the disciples, Jesus has just left them and disciples are waiting and they are, they are in fear. And it tells us they got together to pray. And Paul tells the church at Thessalonica, pray all the time. Pray continuously. 
Pray, 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 because that is the solution. And we would expect that because prayer connects us with God. Prayer is about our relationship with God. And we sense God and we hear God in ways through prayer that we don't in other ways. And so we would expect a solution to have something to do with prayer. What we might not expect is that the psalmist is the prayer that the psalmist prays. Because his prayer is not just a prayer. It is a prayer for God to take care of his enemies. You read this psalm, and it's one of those psalms that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Right? When you look at verse 5, it says, May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof, which get withers before it can grow. With it the reaper cannot fill his hands, or the one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. I'm thinking to myself, of all the psalms, all the songs that the Israelites sang, because there had to be more than 150, I would think. Of all the psalms that they sang, why would you include this one? Right? I mean, it makes us uncomfortable. This is one of the psalms called a psalm of imprecation. And it really just means cursing. It is a psalm of cursing. It is asking God to rain down, not blessing, but curses upon their enemies. Whatever the opposite of blessing is, God, that's what I want you to do to our enemies. The people who oppose us, this is what I want you to do. I want them to be like grass on a rooftop that grows up and has no roots and nowhere to go and just withers and dies. When people walk by them and you would normally say, may the Lord bless you, cause people to turn away and to not say that. There's a lot of emotion in this. Because what the psalmist is telling us is that when we pray about opposition, it ought to be honest praying. We should pray honestly. And that's hard for us to do sometimes. It's hard for us to pray honestly. It feels uncomfortable. It doesn't feel right. You know, we we worry about praying honestly. And yet the psalmist is brutally honest about the people who are opposing Israel. And I think you and I ought to be people who are brutally honest about our prayers, about people who oppose God's kingdom. Collectively and us individually. It's important to pray honestly, even when our honest prayers are deeply emotional, like this one is. Now, it surprises me, as Kelly mentioned, this is one of the songs of ascent. This is one of the songs that the, the, that the pilgrims sing on their way to Jerusalem to sacrifice and to worship. And, and I, I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking, wow. This is, the, this is the song you sing when you're gearing yourself up to worship. God, destroy my enemies. I don't think we sing hymns like that. I don't, I don't remember any hymns in all my childhood growing up singing a hymn that said, God, destroy our enemies. Make them wither like dead grass. Don't bless them, curse them. We don't, we don't even, you know, there aren't any contemporary songs written like that either. I was thinking this week I was going to try to see if Amanda would write one for us. But I was pretty sure she'd say, I don't write music like that. 
You know, it, it's weird. And you think sometimes you feel uncomfortable when we change the worship order up a little bit. How uncomfortable would you feel if the opening hymn on Sunday morning was, God, destroy our enemies? You know, it, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem like the right thing to say. And yet I'm convinced that if we're ever going to overcome our feelings and, and, and the thoughts that we have and the struggles we have about people who oppose us, we have to be willing to pray honest prayers. And one of the things that I think happens in worship is that we, we come to worship and we leave our lives at the doors when we walk in. We all come through the door, we pick up our smiley face mask and we walk into the church and, and we have worship and then we leave and we put our mask back down and we go back to real life. And I think worship ought to be more than that. I think it should be deeper than that. I think there ought to be honesty in worship. I think we ought to, to think about our prayers and coming together and, and, and being brutally honest with God. About the struggles we feel, about the people who oppose us, about the situations of the world where God's people are persecuted and there's injustice and in our own lives. We think if we deny it, it'll it'll go away. The reality is denying it just drives it deeper. I'm convinced that if we don't pray honestly, then we aren't truly praying. I mean, we can come and deal with this altar rail and we can say all the right words, but if it's not honest, what are we doing? We can can walk for miles in prayer and say all kinds of things to God, but if it's not honest, what are we really praying? We can pull out great, great prayers of the centuries that the saints have written and we can read them and we can say them. But if they're not honest, if we're not being honest about what we're praying, are we really praying? I don't think so. I think we're just going through the motions. I think we are pretending to pray. Prayer is about our relationship with God. It is about building honesty with God. And what kind of relationship are you going to build on lies and half-truths and denial? Healthy relationships between human beings only happen when they're founded in truth. As difficult as it may be to speak the truth. Now granted, sometimes we ought to have a filter when we talk to other people. We get ourselves in a lot of trouble by not filtering our words sometimes, right? We all know that. I can't tell you how many times I have been talking with someone or I've been observed a situation where where someone says to another person something, this might say to them, you know, I just want you to know that, that this person really hates you. And I'm thinking to myself, why would you tell them that? What's the point of that? And I've asked a few people, why would you say that? And he said, well, I just wanted to warn them. And I'm thinking to myself, no, you really didn't want to warn them. You just wanted to hurt them too. What's the point of that? What is gained by that? And there are lots of times where we need to filter our language, but not in prayer. In prayer, we need to be brutally honest. 
I think we struggle with being honest in prayer because, because of our view of God. Something in our minds thinks if we don't say it, then God won't know we are thinking it. If it doesn't come out of our mouths, if we don't focus on it, then God might not realize that this is what, we're, this is what we think and feel. And the scripture tells us God knows everything. In 1 Chronicles 28, David is preparing to hand the, the throne of Israel over to his son Solomon. And he says to him, just remember, God knows everything going on in your heart. Psalm 94, the writer says, God knows everything you think and feel. And Psalm 139 says, God knows everything about us, even from afar. God knows what we're thinking and feeling. So why would we not pray honestly anyway? But even in a deeper sense about our view of God, I think we worry about being rejected by God. If I say this, if this comes out of my mouth, if I acknowledge that this is what I'm feeling, maybe God will reject me. I understand why we feel that way because we are rejected all the time when we're honest with people. We, we bear our souls. We become vulnerable with people. And too often, we're hurt. We're rejected. And it makes us apprehensive to, to be that vulnerable with God. I understand why we do that. But God is not other people. I, not, I could not think of any instance in Scripture where people who were honest with God, brutally honest with God, are rejected by God. What I do find in Scripture are people who are apathetic toward God, who don't care enough to be honest with God, who try to hide things from God, who are condemned. God wants us to be honest with Him. He can handle the truth far more than we think he can. Certainly far more than any of us can. And he will not reject us. It is in the truth of our prayers that we begin to see the depth of God's love for us. That in our honesty, God embraces us. And he invites us to to closeness with him that honesty in prayer can bring. And I'm convinced that one way or another, the frustration, the anger, bitterness, whatever it is that we feel about the oppression and the opposition and the struggles that, of life, either corporately or individually, one way or another, they're going to come out. So they're either going to come out in prayer or they're going to come out in our actions. And if I could sum up what, what I sense from this psalm and what, what, I, what I'm trying to help us understand, it, it might be something like this, that we pray our retribution instead of acting on it. Instead of acting in retribution, we pray to God about that retribution. Retribution. 
And we give it to God and we're honest with God. And in that honesty, God begins to heal us and he begins to work in us and he begins to change us and soften us. Because eventually we have to understand that we come to the place where we hear Jesus say to his disciples in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. And the only means to get to love your enemies is to be honest with God about our enemies. It's going to come out one way or the other. The people who can love their enemies, I'm convinced, are people who've been honest, brutally honest with God about their anger and frustration and all of the emotion about what is happening in life to God's people and to us as God's people. There is underlying this psalm... uh, A sense of faith. A sense of faith that that believes that God is in control. And that God is just. And God is good. And God will set things right. And it may not happen now. It may not happen in our lifetime. It may not happen until God's kingdom comes in all of its fulfillment. But it will happen. And so you read in verse 4, the psalmist talking about how his, his back has been plowed and, and he's been greatly oppressed. And he says, but the Lord is righteous. He's cut me free from the cords of the wicked. God is righteous. And eventually, God's justice will prevail. Praying honestly to God is a sign that we trust, that we believe that God will do what he says he will do and that we're leaving it in his hands and we're asking God to to continue to work in us and to change us and to shape us that we might ultimately come to the place where we actually can love our enemies. And that's why we come to this table this morning. This table is not just about the crucifixion of Jesus. It's about the resurrection of Jesus. It's about the ascension of Jesus. And it is about the return of Jesus. It is about the kingdom of God coming to all of its fulfillment. And every time we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we are declaring our trust in God and in his kingdom. That God is in control and that God is good and merciful and that he is for us. This morning, I don't know what kinds of emotions you may be feeling about about opposition in this life. You might have a burden about yourself hurt and pain and difficulty. You might have a burden about the church universal 
and all the ways in which the evil one is attacking the church and attacking God's people. I want to give us a few moments to offer to God some honest prayers. And it's been our practice for a while. The altar rail is open. If you'd like to come and offer your prayers here, then I invite you to come and to join me as we pour out our hearts in honesty before our great and loving God. Oh, Lord, hear our honest, forthright prayers. Father, we are people in whom it has been ingrained to pray nice prayers. Careful prayers. And yet you call us to pray honestly. Lord, we thank you That you are big enough, strong enough, good enough to handle all of the honest prayers that we pray. This morning we pray that you would defeat the enemy that attacks us as your children. We pray, Father, that you would hear our prayers of agony and of frustration, and anger, and honesty. Father, as we pour out our hearts to you, it's not just about us. It's about your people all over the world. So many of our brothers and sisters live in in fear, live with threats of persecution and death. Father, we pray for them today. 
And we pray for those who oppose them that you would defeat them with all of your power. Father, we pray that as we open our hearts to you honestly, that you would work in us to transform us and to change us and to make us new. Move us more and more to the Spirit of Christ. We ask for your grace in each of our lives. We pray for all who are suffering today from illness and pain and the struggles of this life. We pray, Father, for all who are grieving today and ask that you would comfort them. And for everyone who is in a time of transition, we pray for a sense of peace, a new sense of grace that would make the transition smooth and successful. Father, we pray for your anointing on Refresh Camp this week. Give to each speaker and each presenter the power of your Holy Spirit. Let every conversation and every activity be an opportunity to lift hearts that are down, minds that are drained, and spirits that are uncertain. Father, this morning we pray your blessing upon the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake. We ask, Father, that you would pour out your spirit on these elements, that they would be food to our souls, grace in our lives, and the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit in each of us. We thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. We thank you for your love and mercy upon each one of us. We pray today in the name and the power of Jesus Christ, the one from whom we learned the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.